But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> David, David, two, two off-field landings of the week. What is this? You're, you're calling our attention to a twofer. I, I didn't even... Yeah, it was, uh, they kind of came in back-to-back, to be honest. And uh, the, uh, the tale of two people that wound up uh, having okay. to put their tail someplace where they didn't plan to. Yeah, okay. I heard about this one about in New York City, or it's not, well, yeah, it's New York City, uh, the Major Deegan Expressway in the Bronx on Saturday afternoon. That's, that's uh, is that, a, what is that? Is that, that's not a Comanche, is it? No, it's a Cherokee 180. It's a- Cherokee yeah. 180. Okay, it's, it's kind of an interesting picture with the uh, with the uh, uh, you know the, the cop directing traffic in front of the Jersey barrier with the airplane in the background, uh, and cars that, and passing back and forth in the foreground. It's uh, and if the airplane looks like it might be a little low to the ground, like a retractable might be if it was landed gear up. Not that that ever happens. Uh, that's because some of the landing gear gave way. To the force of the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Now, what what was the story? Why did they? Why were they forced down? Uh, the guy said the engine quit making power. Well, do it. Started coming down. Yeah. And early on, there was some miscommunication about this guy supposedly being a student pilot. But that, it, I never saw that come up anywhere. I saw some pilot groups uh, sites discuss it as a, oh, he should know better. Blah blah blah. Uh, but the fact is, I, I think the guy was just a regular license, albeit maybe a low-time pilot. And since when do we second-guess people uh, who are flying along, minding their own business when the motor quits? Yeah. And, and they land well enough that everybody walks away. Yeah. 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 The, the, only, the only trick to all that is that uh, if he was a student pilot, he had two passengers aboard. He, if he was, uh, and if he was, uh, I would wager that, from what we know, the fact that it happened had nothing to do with his pilot status. That's true. And he still pulled it off. That's true. Now, the FAA is going to have a long chat with him if it were true that he was a student, but that didn't show up in any of the subsequent stories that I, I monitored through the week after this. So mm-hmm. I kind of think it was somebody misreading something or stated incorrectly because I've seen instances where – Instrument students were uh, called student pilots when actually they right. had thousands of hours. They were just getting right. a new rating. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the, the correct phraseology is pilot receiving instruction. Right. Yeah, and that takes up more space than any editor in a newspaper is going to want to give it. Yeah. So, of all things, David, you've pointed us to an Australian newspaper's report of this uh, of this forced landing in New York City um, from the uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, the the World section. Plane makes emergency landing on New York Expressway. Uh, now I'm going to kind of jump around in the story. No one was seriously injured. The plane had flown from Danbury, Connecticut, on a tour of the Statue of Liberty, um, and it landed in the northbound lane at 3:20 in the afternoon. A uh, pilot and his two female passengers were taken to St. Barnabas Hospital with minor injuries. Uh, it, it, this actually sounds like it got a little exciting. This is not what not just a rough you know on the land on the road. It says the no. plane the plane hit some treetops before it landed. The story says um, they're quoting officials and witnesses, uh, and it's says it spilled some fuel before touching down and rolling 100 meters down the lane. Yeah, you know, yeah it hit, some, it hit some stuff coming down, and 
the guy still kept it straight enough to put it on yeah, the no, I mean, uh, on the highway. I was yeah. like blown away. Yeah, the piling skill is 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 uh, you know thumbs up kind of thing. Jeb, what are you saying? Yeah, again, you know, stuff just doesn't you know really add up here. Now, there's yeah. a lot of things wrong with this article. Okay, first of all, so putting that aside, but. Uh, they're saying the hazardous materials team removed 190 liters of fuel from the plane before it was towed. Uh, <laughs> okay. 190 liters, according to uh, uh, Google, is 50.19 U.S. gallons. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Cherokee 180 only holds 50 gallons. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so he didn't so run I, out of gas. Apparently. He didn't run out of gas. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know how long he was in the air, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, he had a really but, low fuel burn. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I don't know. I, yeah, uh, I think you a know. lot. A lot of people were weirded out by this, but you know, because it was landing in the New York, you know, exurbs or suburbs or whatever. But uh, um, hey, you know, every any any port in a storm. Well, one of the things that got my attention on this was the fact that this story did come from Australia, which just shows what global appeal these kind of stories can have right. when there's a good picture to go with it and it involves some place that all the readers are going to recognize like New York City. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, does it happen in Garden City, Kansas? I seriously doubt the Aussie papers would have picked it up even with the good photograph. Yeah. Uh, and the whole thing is just, just got a rush of, of breathless discussion on a couple of the websites and uh, like guys this will not be the last time this happened this will not be the last time it happens to somebody with thousands of hours somebody with five hours yeah yeah this now, stuff happens speaking of juicy pictures here uh we've got part two in our little double header here uh from uh the wtrf dot uh, com website channel seven in uh someplace probably tennessee like area right uh, once again, they don't put where they're from on their website, but the but the story is datelined Buchanan. Is that how you would say that? Buchanan. Buchanan. Buchanan in Upshur County, uh, which apparently is in uh, near. Oh no, the one of the uh, deputies involved uh, was from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. The pilot was from Henderson, Tennessee. Anyways, authorities were called to the scene of a small plane crash in Upshur County Saturday night. It happened just after 5:30 p.m. Um, on Brushy Fork Road outside Buckhannon. The Upshur County Sheriff's Department said James Meadows, 30, of Hendersonville, Tennessee, was flying a Cirrus SR-22 aircraft to Pennsylvania when he heard a bang and his engine failed. The uh, plane was equipped with a, uh, air, uh, a Cirrus aircraft airframe parachute system, which, oh, he, he deployed the parachute. Oh, okay, all right. So... Uh, that's so, one of the things that makes that photograph interesting. Oh, that's what I'm seeing on that photograph yeah, then. Yeah. Oh, now I understand what I'm seeing. Okay, so all the shrouds and stuff are kind of draped over the over the airplane. Yeah, all right. Well, interesting. I got an Upshur County, Texas, and I got another one in West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> and I was halfway expecting to see one in uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, this must have been east of the Mississippi because uh, – the local TV station that checked yeah. in on it is WOWK. Uh, this is, it this is West Virginia, I believe. I believe you're right. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, which tracks he was on his way to Pennsylvania. Right. So he had a bang and the engine quit, and uh, he pulled the lever or the knob or, or how do you do it? The what hand, is it actually? The hand, it's a handle. It's a hand, sort of like a, yeah, right, a handle. Um, yeah, a big handle in the overhead. 
Okay. And, it's like and a big hand, lever. Is it, is it attached to a lever or is it attached to a, a cable of some sort? Cable. Okay. Well, there's a cable attached to the – the handle is like a lever. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. And some of them used to be just a straight handle pull, but they found a way to okay. reduce the uh, pulling pressure, mm-hmm. uh, give a little more leverage, because that's pulling on a rather long cable run with a couple of pretty good turns in it. Uh, so the pull pressures are not necessarily the lightest, but I've un- for, I understand that adrenaline makes up <laughs> makes up for <laughs> the, the pulling yeah. force required to deploy the parachute. <laughs> Yeah. So there's and it has a cover and a safety pin, and you take the safety pin out uh, before you depart and put it back when you park. Yeah. So there is a Buchanan in West Virginia, and uh, I think that's the place. I'm trying to see where the, the point I'm getting to here is. So this happened at a random moment: the bang, and then the engine failed, and he pulls the parachute, and obviously has doesn't have a lot of control over where he's going to come to the ground. All right. Uh, call zero. And he and he yeah. And yet he still manages to land on a road, you know, right. near a populated area. All right. right. This guy's. The only thing know, that would make it better would yeah. be if there was, you know, just beyond in this, in the central shot here on this, on this uh, WTRF page, if just beyond the airplane on the, you know, in the right of way of the road, there was a sign that said airport to the right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome, it. folks. To uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you here from uh, uh, beautiful downtown Epping, uh, New Hampshire. And uh, I'm talking with my two good friends. Uh, uh, Jeb Burnside's out there, talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? I'm good. Got some projects accomplished and uh, uh, looking forward to uh, you know a warm-up trend down here. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone else is looking, for, looking forward to a warm-up trend. But also looking forward to uh, tackling some more projects. Projects. Yeah. So it's yeah. all good. It's all good. Well, you know, cl- clear out the guest room, right? Because, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's like, I, yeah, the invasion the, is about to happen, all right? I'm on I, my I, way soon. Yeah, the the um, the um, uh, rooming uh, uh, association told me you might be on your way. So. Oh, soon, soon. It's, uh, soon. What's yeah. today? Today's Thursday. On Monday morning, I, I hit the road and do my little semi-legendary drive I, to I, I, all I just, the authorities along I-95. I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just did the laundry. I mean, uh, just did the uh, the linens for that room too. Oh, well, so. there we go. Well, awesome. my goodness, I feel special. So. That's uh, going to be cool. I'm looking forward to it. All kidding aside, it's gonna, me too. It's going to be fun. Uh, and also here is uh, Dave Higdon talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How are you doing, David? Ah, uh, doing fantastic. Uh, steaming into the new year, uh, trying to keep the rock rolling up the hill and not backward, and, and uh, enjoying it. Veritable heat wave here. It got into the 30s today. It's Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of supposed to get that way up here too. You notice I didn't ask Jeb about weather. I'm just not even going to ask him about weather. It's just you and me, David. All right. We're- well, I think he's still wearing hip waders to work. Yeah. Well, see, I'm looking forward. This is my annual trip down, and I was telling people up here that I'm heading to Florida, and I explained to them how I'm going to go down there, and all my Florida friends are going to be complaining about how cold it is, and I'm going to be wearing shorts and getting a tan. All right. It's just going to be great. I'm looking so forward to this. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Jim got really quiet. <laughs> no, I had just really nothing to say. It was it was quite chilly here the last few days. Um, kind of like you just don't want to go outside. And I realize that a lot of people listening to my voice are throwing stuff at the radio or their their iPod or the telephone right now. 
Um, but you know, when you've got the infrastructure to deal with cold, it's one thing. When you don't, it's quite another. Ah, uh, okay. That's uh, well, uh, you know, there's something to that. I'll, I'll I'll give you something for that. That's true. That's true. So, uh, well, that's what I tell some of my uh, some of my friends. How you deal with the cold? I get out different clothes. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, basically that's it. I, I guess you know, I I go to Florida. That's what I do. But uh, I. Not not so much this year. Anyways, um, who are you again? Yeah. Oh, I already said my name. I say my name at the beginning now, David. That's not like the old <laughs> days when I used to forget. That's why I changed it around because I always used to forget to to introduce myself. We have we have a beginning now. So now I introduce myself first and then introduce you guys. And I think I got everybody. So we can move uh, on. Okay. Talk about airplane yeah. stuff here. Hey, one of my favorite things in doing this podcast is lists. Man, if I can find a cr- come across an aviation list, I go, oh yeah, this is good stuff. And uh, God bless the NTSB because they. Uh, issued a list uh, just before the first of the year. And this is reading from uh, General Aviation News. Uh, NTSB issues five general aviation safety alerts. Five uh, Dateline, Washington, D.C. Five general aviation safety alerts were issued by the National Transportation Board uh, the week before Christmas, citing the government agency's focus on reducing GA accidents. Um, so the five alerts are, uh, in, uh, in the order according to this story, uh, check your restraints, uh, and I guess the issue here is to look out for these things, right? Check your restraints, engine power loss due to carburetor icing, uh, what's it say, armed for safety, emergency locator transmitters. I guess you want to make sure you have one that's in working condition. Um, all secure, all clear, and then parens, it says securing items in the aircraft cabin, and then proper use of fiber or nylon self-locking nuts. Okay, Sesame Street, which one of these doesn't belong with the others? I don't know. <laughs> um, Jeb, you're the uh, safety guy. What do you think of this list of five things? Um, it's, it's, we're, we're starting to kind of run out of things to talk about, I think. Um, uh, us or the NTSB? The NTSB. Yeah, okay. Um, us too, but... Us, us too, but that's, not, that's nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, it was about six, nine months ago, the, the NTSB put out a similar list of uh, safety alerts, another five. Um, some of them were a little bit more useful, at least operationally, uh, involved, for example, um, next red weather and latency, um, uh, some other things in there, too. Um, check your restraints. Yeah, absolutely. Check your not only just check them as you're snugging up and and cleaning the cockpit up and everything like that, but check them at an annual. Check them uh, when you do an oil change. Check them uh, uh, periodically. You know your, your seat belts. How rusty is the are the bolts anchoring these seat belts to the floor? Um, you know things how like that. How old are your belts? How old are the belts? That's exactly right. <clears throat> Engine power loss due to carburetor icing. Um, you know. I look at accident reports every month, and every month there's something out there that can be attributed to to carburetor icing. Um, even in the good old summertime. Even in the, especially some, especially in the summertime when there's yeah. more moisture in the air. Um, emergency locator transmitters. Well, I'm sorry. Let's go back to carburetor icing for just yeah. a second here. Um, is the is the nature of the problem that people don't even think to put on carb heat or is it beyond a carb heat kind of situation what's the it's it's uh, i'm not sure I haven't, what's I haven't the solution this. to this you know it says engine power loss due to carburetor icing what's it really suggesting that we do here i have not read this this particular safety alert okay uh, i looked at the one about the soft locking nuts okay <laughs> okay just, just saying that's just you know but um, there's all kinds of little issues associated with carburetor icing. First of all, is recognizing it. 
uh, when it when it hits. Uh, secondly, is is uh, preventing it in the first place, uh, and thirdly, is not removing it too soon. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Um, why would why would oh, that's interesting? Okay. So what w- what happens? People people put on carburetor. They, they think they've got an icing problem. They put on well, carb they, heat. No, no, I was thinking the other way around. They, 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 they all of a sudden they get a rough running engine or something. Yeah. Uh, and they don't think carburetor icing. Right. They think, oh my god, I'm running out of gas. Oh my god, the engine's about to come through the cowling. Uh, they don't perhaps think carburetor icing. Especially on a summer, a clear summer day, for yeah. example. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. But those are the, that. Those are the some of the the classic uh, conditions okay. for carburetor icing. What What do you think the problems are they're seeing with the emergency locator transmitters? Uh, there's an arm switch on some of them. Uh-huh. Uh, off okay. on arm switch um, on on newer <clears throat> excuse me newer installations. The newer in this case is like twenty years or plus, um, but. Uh, Sometimes those switches can get knocked to the off position or um, just never turned on to the mm-hmm. arm position. The on position, of course, is you know when you're oh I just had an accident I should you know hit my emergency locator transmitter on just to make sure that it's you know someone comes and gets me kind of thing. But uh, um, while we're talking here, why don't I go load one of these up and, and look at this particular one on. Uh, on seat belts, I mean on uh, on uh, carburetor icing. Okay. okay. Uh, hang on a second. The all secure thing, all clear. I think it's pretty pretty self-explanatory, but it's often overlooked when people are so used to flying, they treat their airplanes like their cars. You throw it in the back seat right. and go. Right. I, I often worry about friends and other people that I encounter at Oshkosh when I hear about how much gear they've brought um, in their aircraft. Uh-huh. And assuming they don't have a weight issue, and I'm, I'm going to assume that right. most everybody's smart about weight um, and balance. Um, the other issue, though, is having all this stuff piled in the back seat. You know, in the event that you were to come to a sudden stop, you could right. land successfully and then get whacked in the head by I don't know what coming from the back. Exactly. Well, that that's one scenario, but a, a more common scenario is you get into some really rough air, and all of a sudden that stuff that was sitting nice and, uh, and stable on the back seat is now floating around the cabin sure. with an undetermined touchdown point ahead. Yeah, that and the cat, right? You know. <laughs> well, I, I know a guy. I know a guy that damn near lost an O2 bottle out through a bubble canopy. Really. Because on this given day, he was kind of in a hurry. He was kind of in a rush. He got off. He's fully intended to strap the O2 bottle to the passenger seat like he normally did. Uh, but he got a little busy, and the next thing you know, he's steaming along, and he goes, Oh, I should strap that puppy down when he started to get some really bad air. Uh, and it got away from him. Uh, he was too busy flying the airplane okay. to try to handle the O2 bottle, and it bounced around. It left dents on the inside. Okay. Yeah, the no, street no. Metal I, I confess, I didn't the think of that the canopy in the back, and we marveled later at what a relief it was that it didn't hit him in the head and rupture. Sure. That's right. Because sure. if it had ruptured from hitting him in the head, there's no telling where it would yeah. have gone. No, that's a very, very good point. I hadn't thought yeah. about that that aspect of it for sure. Uh, Jeb, anything interesting there about the car icing? Y- y- yeah, I was, uh, I was just going to say, this is... There's three basic points that this safety alert makes. 
do not recognize. I'm sorry. Accident evidence shows that some pilots, one, do not recognize weather conditions favorable to carburetor icing and inaccurately believe that carburetor icing is only a cold or wet weather problem. Two, do not use carburetor heat according to the aircraft's approved procedures to prevent carburetor ice formation. And three, do not recognize and promptly act upon the signs of carburetor icing. So there might be a little bit out of order, but uh, I got them right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then finally, uh, the uh, what was it? The uh, proper use of fiber or nylon self-locking. I'm sure this is a very, a very significant, important issue, but it sounds a little funny. That's a, it's a little techy. Um, um, what are they there's, suggesting? Here? There's a lot of self-locking nuts on the average general aviation airplane, mm-hmm. um, and they tend to get reused. Which is not really recommended. Right, which is not really recommended. And one of the things about this particular safety alert, um, first of all, the NTSB points that out. It's, you know, it's not the, the, the wisest thing to do to reuse one of these nuts, but you certainly can. Uh, but after you know, several reuses, um, they lose their tension and they lose their self-locking capability. And without any other locking mechanism, like a cotter pin or safety wire or something like that, that they're, you know, it's just, it's not the way to go. And the, um, the safety alert also provides a couple of ways to determine um, that these self-locking nuts have, in fact, lost their tension capability and when to replace them. You know, I, you know, I think we started out having some fun with this list, but the more I, I think about these things, I think these are some relatively easy ways that you can really make yourself safer. I, I, oh, I, absolutely. I think it's a good list. They yeah, really absolutely. Are. And, and, and the, NTS, the other five um, um, safety alerts from the NTSB has, have a lot of value also. I, uh, Little things like seat belts. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they get overlooked in cars that they really are kind of a life-limited item. But we're so used to them lasting, seeming to last forever in cars, which they don't, mm-hmm. that we don't really think about them. And, you know, let's face it. Do you want to do you want a seat belt at a hundred percent of its tensile strength when you, when you're in that uh, unavoidable moment, or do you want one that's only down to about thirty percent and when your body mass exceeds its capability of holding it, it's going to cut you loose and let you go through the windshield. Right. It's right. not a not a tough uh, decision to make, but it's something that most people don't think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeb, quickly, what are those other five? Do you have them? Yeah, they were done in March. Uh, one of them happens to uh, has to deal with um, managing risks to ensure safety. Talking about uh, um, just the, the basic concept of risk management and and how to mitigate various risks. Um, is your aircraft talking to you? Um, uh, listen to it. Things like uh, um, you know, air, mechanical problems. A little bit, a little bit of a gray area, but at the same time, if your engine's hard to start, or um, it's it's running a little bit rougher than normal, or maybe hotter than normal, um, you know, it's maybe it's trying to send a message. It's not you can't you can't use Western Union, so it's got to do something else. And if you're not listening, well, you know, it may get to the point where it's going to let you down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, things things like that. Um, um, these are and there's another one here about uh, uh, preventing stalls at low altitude, and of course the you know way to do that is don't engage in low level maneuvering, um, things of that sort. So it's there's a lot of little things here, and, and these are if they're done right, if if the NTSB is doing this right, 
uh, of course, I haven't been in an FBO in a while or, or a training facility for a while, so I'm not really sure. But they should be printing these up as posters, you know, maybe a foot by two feet mm-hmm. uh, in, in multicolors and everything. And, and they should be plastered all over various uh, yeah. FBOs and, and pilot lounges and, and training facilities around, around the country. So yeah. I don't know if they're doing that, but they should be. No, I think I agree. I think the, the overarching thing here is that these are some simple steps that, right. you, can, that you can take to make your, you know, your flying noticeably safer. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, finally, it can't hurt. What's that? It can't hurt. No, no. This is uh, so. James Fallows is a uh, writer who, uh, among other places, writes for the Atlantic uh, or theAtlantic.com, anyways. And uh, we've quoted him off and on over the years. He writes about all kinds of things, but he occasionally writes about aviation. And uh, he's well, and he's an active pilot. I'm uh, sure. Uh, I'm sure. That's, yeah, big factor here. He knows what we're he's. We're big doing. fans. Yes. Um, and he writes from a position of, of, of experience and, and knowledge, which, which is not always the case in mainstream media. Um, so he has a piece uh, uh, just recently, dated a couple of days ago, um, where he, the headline is, Three Crashes, Aspen, Colorado, Buckhannon, West Virginia, the one we just talked about, and Melbourne, Florida. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 we could probably do a whole episode talking about these three incidents. and, and Yeah. I, you know, but... Uh, I did want to talk for just a quick second here about this Aspen, Colorado thing. Um, I, I don't have much data. This this was kind of a big on 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 uh, social media the day that it happened. It turns out that a handful of sol- this is Aspen, which is like Aspen, right? Aspen, Colorado, a very upscale community, and uh, it turns out that there were a couple of uh, of, of first you know A list celebrities on the ramp or in the in the terminal or something like that who actually w- eyewitnessed this thing and whipped out their phones and snapped pictures and tweeted them within seconds and so this got a lot of uh, a lot of visibility um pretty quickly do you know is there any information yet about what happened what led up to this um either of you i i don't know i haven't seen anything um yeah i mean there, there's some there's the basics are uh the crew um aborted their first landing attempt mm-hmm. went around um, touched down uh, at, at roughly the same, and, and while they were going around, Tower was giving them updated winds. Um, basically, one of the reasons they went around is is they're trying to land with a an observed fifteen knot gust to thirty knot tailwind. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, it's not at all clear um, exactly what happened. I'm I'm told. Uh, the aircraft bounced and ended up <clears throat> on its side after the bounce. Right, I right. I don't know how, you know, I, I can certainly envision a lot of different ways that can happen. What I don't know is why they were landing downwind. That I can answer. And the, the, the wind was pretty much down the runway, but go ahead, Dave. Yeah, David, please. why do you think they were landing downwind? That's the only way in and out of... I was wondering about that. You know, it's a funny coincidence. In addition, time out, time out. Yep, go ahead. That's the only way in and out at a a runway that's over 8,000 feet above sea level and only 8,000 feet long and has mountains just beyond the end of runway 15. That's the runway they were landing. So, unless you're the kind of category one traffic like Jeb and I typically fly, your approach to that airport. If you're flying turbine aircraft, uh, not a King Air, but any any kind of jet, chances are your approach to that's going to be from the north, period. 
you're not going to have the climb gradient or the numbers to make it work taking off to the south or landing from the south. So you do the the 1-5 arrival. That's the predominant arrival there for turbine traffic because it gives more clearance. And even at that, it's not a standard arrival, uh, not even in VFR conditions. Uh, why they opted to go on a second attempt when the tailwinds were clearly unpredictably strong just beats the hell out of me. Yeah, That's the part that somebody's going to have to hold a seance or something for. Yeah. In addition to the to the amazing coincidence of having the A-list celebrities um, be eyewitnesses, it's interesting that just a couple of days ago, before this whole thing happened, um, I saw a story. I just sent you guys a link to the story. Um, a story uh, from, let's see, the, a, a, a website called boldmethod.com. I don't know what that is. But it's an interesting story, the headline being Difficult Approach, Flying the LOC DME Runway 15 into Aspen, Colorado. It talks about the fact that uh, uh, pilots for this particular airline, which is uh, SkyWest, um, SkyWest flies uh, airline uh, flights, uh, scheduled airline flights into Aspen, and um, the the uh, the pilots that fly these flights require special training. There's only a handful of them in the company that are allowed to bid these these flights, and uh, and the uh, they interview a couple of these pilots and talk about the difficulties and the challenges and the reality of it, and uh, and and how important the special training is to fly into this this particular environment. It's it's an interesting coincidence that this story came out just a couple of days before the the private jet uh, had troubles. Um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, if if this picture is accurate, there's a set number. The second picture in this article that I just sent you um, shows a a, a, a a picture of the as the valley that the airport's in um, from a hilltop, and you can easily imagine that this is a one-way airport um, under at least under certain circumstances. So well, yeah. It, 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 it they, they the FAA requires special training for some operations in there. Most corporations, most insurance companies definitely do. Yeah, uh, the FAA likes to have experience there, even landing day VFR. Yeah, yeah, Jeb, I think that was you sighing. What? Uh... Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll accept that there is an operational reason for them to have landed downwind. Um, in looking at that that second picture, however, um, I don't see what it is. Okay, mm-hmm. in that. Um, I don't know if that's to the east or to the west, um, but there's some relatively flat land there. And anything, especially a, a Challenger 605 or whatever it was, uh, with three people on board at the, end of a, uh, at the end of a day's flying, it ought to be light enough that it can perform well enough that if it got into it, and this is all VFR operations too. Um, because the uh, the uh, there's only like there is a, only a one way in one way out kind of an approach uh, thing here, but that's not what this was. This was not an approach accident. This was just a VFR airplane handling accident. And I'm certainly willing to be educated, but I don't see just by looking at that particular image um, how this is a one way in one way out airport for a for a lightly loaded Challenger. Yeah, yeah. Well, you that know, uh, second image there of the airport that's looking northwest. Okay. Okay. So that's you're aligning with three, 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 three is basically off in the distance. Yeah, you're looking uh, up runway uh-huh. one five, uh, three, three, like you right. said, right. and yeah. they were landing one five, uh-huh. and you're not on the highest terrain 
from your perspective, from that picture. Uh, I understand. I understand that. Uh, But I'm still a mile and a half or so from the threshold. Yeah. And there's this this thing called ailerons. Uh, I can turn. (laughs) I don't have to head, you know, straight in. I, I I, I agree with you on the basis that there's a whole lot of, Stuff that gets done in in this business turbine and and commercial airline world that to me takes away some of what the airplane's capable of in the interest of trying to standardize what humans do right. around what makes somebody comfortable that that's the safest way when the safest way may be actually using the maneuverability of the aircraft in those visual conditions uh-huh. Uh-huh. to do what the aircraft is capable of. But that doesn't seem to be the way the whole business tilts, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and it doesn't seem to be what the the the, uh, the the safety gurus and the people that write the ops specs and the, uh, uh, the 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 handbooks that the pilots all have to operate for, under in these environments. They don't seem to look at it that way, and it baffles me. Yeah, you know, uh, I, that, I, that, I don't that, disagree with that either. Yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree with that either, Dave. This was a strict ninety-one operation, now. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was it was basically deadheading three crew members. Oh, is that, it wasn't like it, was, an owner. it wasn't. No, uh-uh, oh. it wasn't. Um, the the uh, that's what I'm told by reading some other articles that I don't have uh, I don't have in front of me right now. Okay. Um, but you know that and fifty cents gets you a cup of coffee. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, anyways, hey, let's let's take a break. Siri, what can you tell us about the uncontrolled airspace podcast? The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations that they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane, but you knew that. I was talking earlier about the fact that I'm getting ready to hit the road uh, next week to head down to Florida. One of the reasons I'm going down there is uh, for uh, the Sebring LSA show, the uh, uh, more officially known as the Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And uh, this will be my fourth or fifth, third or fourth or fifth year in a row. Um, you is, know you're a veteran when you can't remember how many. Uh, is yeah. that how it works? I, yeah. yeah. People, people are going to start talking, Jack. I think, well, you know, this is kind of a fun show. It's still a, it's still a young, sh- relatively young show. Um, oh. But, you know, it's growing a little bit. It kind of faltered, not faltered, but, it, you know, the, the economy affected everything and it affected the show a touch. But uh, um, it, it seems to be a really, really healthy show and it's a fun show. It's only a few days long, but uh, I look forward to it. It, not only for the warm weather, but for the airplanes and my, meeting up with my friends. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, we're going to be down there. Uh, Uncontrolled airspace will be at the uh, at the uh, Sebring Expo. Um, we're going to be doing uh, dailies throughout the week, um, and throughout the week, the uh, the four days, and uh, where we'll uh, you know kind of like the way we do dailies at Sun Fun and at uh, at Air Venture, where the uh, short uh, uh, little uh, snippets that kind of talk as much about the the environment the feel of of attending the show as as anything else but also providing a little bit of of news about what what happened that day at at the expo so we're going to do dailies throughout the week um and uh uh, the dailies will not only be posted on our feed but they uh our our buddy dave shellbetter who we talk about from time to time um is uh who 
many people know Dave Shell better because he uh, is uh, has run the uh, the radio operation at Sun and Fun for years and years now. And uh, starting a couple of years ago, he uh, put together a radio operation there at the Sebring Expo. And so they broadcast live on the air and on the internet. Well, actually, they're, maybe they're not on the air; they're on the internet um, from Sebring throughout the four days. And uh, they're going to be there again this year. Uh, so anybody who's interested in the expo um, and can't be there all four days or can't be there at all and, and want to get the flavor of it, um, they could uh, tune into uh, the uh, the uh, uh, online expo. And I confess I don't know the, the Dave's going to yell at me. I don't know. Shellbetter is going to yell at me because I don't know the uh, the URL for uh, for how to listen to it online. Do either of you guys know the answer to well, that? Well, hang on a second. Yeah, let's see what we can find. It's funny we don't have the ability to... Uh, Hang on a second here. Let's just. Uh... Jack Hodgson. Shellbetter, how you doing? What the hell is going on? All right, man? now don't curse because we're doing the podcast here, and uh, we were talking about the expo, <laughs> and we were talking about Expo Radio, and then I suddenly realized that d- the dummy that I am, I didn't know how people could tune in on the internet, and so I figured let me call call Dave and, and ask him. So uh, uh, the, the 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 short question is, how do people connect to uh, Expo Radio on online? Well, thanks to our our friend and and. Hugely supportive sponsor Dave Pasco. Okay. Expo Radio will be streamed over liveatc.net. And two different ways is you can go to liveatc.net and look for KSEF or Sebring Airport. But the short way to do it is very similar to Sun and Fun, liveatc.net forward slash expo. Yeah. So how are you doing? How's, how's the setup going for the show? Have you been over there or yet? It's still not till like a week from now, but uh, uh, how's the prep going for either the radio station or the whole expo? Actually, prep is going very, very well on all counts. Uh, I actually heard from Gary Phillip, who is the executive director, Jana Phillips' husband, called me bright and early this morning and asked me about placement of the tent for Expo Radio. We're really happy that we're going to be right at the base of the control tower this year, right up at the at the tarmac in a nice twenty by twenty ten. Nice, yeah, yeah. And uh, it says everything I'm hearing, things are flowing smooth. I, you know, I haven't heard anybody screaming all the way over. You know, I'm about I'm about 120, 130 miles from Sebring uh-huh. down here in South Florida, so. But I haven't heard anybody screaming all the way from Sebring yet, so yeah. that's a good sign. Yeah, Dave, say hi to Dave. Dave, how are you? Dave, good to hear your voice, man. How you doing? Too many Daves. I know it's always too many Daves. <laughs> whenever we whenever we get involved with Shellbetter, there seems to be Daves everywhere you look. Uh, uh, Jeb, say hi to Dave. Hi to Dave. Hi, Jeb. Is it is it ugly and rainy on your side of the state today too? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been miserable and, and overcast and cold for the last few days. Cold is a relative term, as Dave and Jack and I were just discussing a few minutes ago. (laughs) So, Shellbetter. On on an episode, I heard Jack teasing me about my 60 degrees being cold outside. Yeah, I know. Listen, hey, I'm I'm headed down there, man. It can be 60 degrees for all I care. That just works just fine for me. Hey, uh, Dave Shellbetter. I remember last year you were wearing shorts and t shirts when we were in 48 degrees at the expo. Absolutely. (laughs) Makes total sense to me. Um, Dave Shellbetter, I know you do a lot of prep before these shows. Have you been preparing interviews and things? I guess what I'm getting at here is do you have some sense of what the stories are going to be for this year at the Expo? We've got some great stuff going on at Expo. It's people. This is the 10th annual Sport Aviation Expo in Sebring. 
Um, we've got some really neat stuff coming up. We have uh, a brand new company and a brand new service for that's in the powers in the past been uh, honored only to the guys that fly the, the big kerosene burners, and that is a new company called Concierge. And basically, it's a play on words on concierge. Concierge is a concierge service for GA aircraft. Uh, that, that's looking really good. Oh, okay. And the new, um, just today, spoke with the folks at uh, eye level, the new ADS, standalone ADSB GPS in out unit. Um, you know, we've got uh, daily interviews set up with uh, people from Expo and several interviews set up with. Uh, John Zapp of the Flying Musicians Association, and we're going to be doing we're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that we we do at uh, Sun Sun Radio. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, as I was saying before, we got you on the telephone. Uh, for anybody who's either not going to be there every day, or or, or sadly not going to be there at all, they should uh, they should tune in and and get a feeling for what's going on at, at the Sebring Expo. Expo. Um, Dave Shalbetter, say it, t- tell us one more time where where's the easy way for people to find and connect to the stream online www.liveatc.net forward slash expo. Great. Thank you, David. We appreciate your, your uh, letting us interrupt you. I don't know where we've caught you, but uh, we, we appreciate it. It's terrific. So Sebring should be fun this year, uh, and uh, in addition to listening to it on the stream, um, you can uh, check out uh, our UCAP at uh, at. Uh, Sebring. The dailies will be uh, on, on our feed and on uh, uh, Expo Radio. Um, we're going to be doing a meetup uh, for uh, uh, UCAP listeners who uh, might be attending, uh, or at least in the area. You don't actually have to have paid admission to get into the Expo. On Saturday uh, noontime, uh, Jeb and I, Dave unfortunately is not going to make it. Dave, you know, we're going to have to talk to you about this. Maybe we'll have to, we'll have to come up with some budget next year, right? That's One of these years, yeah. Yeah, right. That's what we need to do. But this year, unfortunately, we weren't able to put it together. So Dave's not going to be able to join us at, at Sebring. But Jeb and I will be there um, at Sebring, and on Saturday, you may run across us on the grounds, and we'd love to say hi to you, and please do come up to us and say hi, but the, the sort of organized UCAP meetup will be Saturday during Expo. That's what, the 18th, I believe? Um, whatever the Saturday uh, during, during uh, Sebring Expo is. And the way we're going to do this, it's going to be a little bit casual. Um, uh, Jeb and I will be hanging out um, on the steps of the terminal building on the ramp side um, and uh, at 11, starting at 11.30 uh, Saturday morning. And we'll just be hanging out there watching the airplanes taxi by and fly by. And uh, if, if the fences are laid out the way they've been for the last few years, that's a spot where you can get to without having paid admission. Uh, you should be able to enter through the uh, main parking lot side of the terminal building and walk through and come out over there. And come out there and find us and say hi, and we'll chat. And depending on how uh, consensus forms, we may move on into the restaurant and have something to eat, but uh, we'll definitely all get together, and, and it'll be fun. Uh, Jeb, anything you want to add to that? No, um, uh, we'll be there. Um, just hope, you know, everybody listening to this is not going to break into my house while we're gone. So. <laughs> yeah, right, no, right. Um, so, uh, uh, Sebring... Uh, uh, let's, that's, that's why you have the guard gator. Right, right. So this year, the uh, Sebring uh, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo at the uh, Sebring Airport in Sebring, Florida, is January 16th through the 19th. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, next week uh, in, in Sebring. It's going to be fun. And uh, and uh, come by and see the airplanes. And if you run across us, say hi to us, too. It's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's next here? Um, oh, I know. 
have the fish, man. Have the fish. We talked about this last episode uh, with uh, with the airplane that uh, that uh, had a, a leaking container of uh, seafood in the uh, in down below, and uh, it it made everybody ill on the airplane, and so they had to land. This week, Jeb, you call our attention to what story? That's not necessarily about fish, but what what's the story here? It's not necessarily about fish, but a uh, United Airlines flight. Uh, this was. Um Actually, it's datelined uh, New Year's Eve, so it's recent. United Airlines flight had to make an unscheduled landing in Omaha after the pilot became ill. Uh, according to United spokesman Karen May, flight 1637 from Des Moines to Denver um, uh, was Man, already... he didn't get very far. It was, did not get very far. Uh, sat down in Omaha. Uh, co-pilot landed a Boeing 737 without incident just after 9 p.m. And the pilot was taken to a local hospital. No news uh, at this um, in this article about the the captain's uh, health or recovery. Uh, it's 154 passengers and six crew members aboard the flight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the only thing I have to say about this then is Steve Tupper, keep up the hope. You know, there is a chance yeah, it could it, happen. It, it can it can happen, and you just got to fly more, Steve. That's all. Well, it, it, and Steve, I, I have had. The same fantasy as you, but the scenario you need runs closer to snakes on the plane than this, because <laughs> because unless both flight crew fall ill and are incapacitated, it's bloody well unlikely that the yeah. cockpit door will come open to bring somebody in to help out the co-pilot. Yeah, well, you know, there's... but but there's always you know snakes on the plane. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, we just talked, hope you don't get bit along the way. We talked a while back, we reported a while back about the fact that AOPA had decided to uh, discontinue their annual uh, big expo uh, gathering um, that they've been holding for years in various forms. And we speculated at the time that they might, um, and I think they actually hinted in their releases, that uh, they were going to uh, do some uh, some regional things. And we wondered whether or not they would revive the, uh, the late lamented uh, uh, AOPA uh, homecoming thing at, uh, at Frederick. And they announced recently that, that all these things are about to come true. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this could be kind of cool. This, I, I'm looking forward to this, especially since one of them is up here in my neighborhood. Um, the, uh, this is reading from uh, the AOPA, AOPA.org website. Regional events bring AOPA to members. Association announces dates, details for new grassroots events. Uh, for many pilots, there's no better way to spend a Saturday than enjoying all things general aviation. That's the experience AOPA is bringing to members and aviation enthusiasts nationwide with a series of six regional AOPA fly-ins and a special AOPA homecoming in Frederick, Maryland. And the story goes on to talk a little bit more about the dates and locations. Let's see now. Here we've got uh, in April in uh, San Marcos, Texas at San Marcos Municipal. In May at Indianapolis, Indiana, Indianapolis Regional Airport. In July at Plymouth, Mass, uh, in my neighborhood, uh, Plymouth Airport. In August in Spokane, Spokane, uh, Washington, Spokane Falls, uh, correction, Spokane Feltz Field. Uh, in September in Chino, California, Chino Airport, a very cool airport, by the way. The, the others, I'm sure, are cool as well. I, I, I happen to know Chino. And in November in Brunswick, Georgia, at Malcolm McKinnon Airport. Um, and then, uh, let's see now, when is the homecoming? Did I... That's on October 4. October 4. October 4, yeah. yeah. So uh, 
Um, this is this is quite a quite a thing. I, I as an events guy, I have a lot of respect for the fact that they're planning to put on you know what yeah. is this seven different uh, uh, you know moderately large fly-in events throughout the year. Um, maybe I should have you know put in my application. I don't know, but uh, um, this is uh, this is going to be cool. I I, I think I like this idea a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they pull it all off. Um, they're also working in mention to reference, I should say, to Air Venture and to Sun and Fun mm-hmm. as uh, uh, as a regional event. Um, not sure, you know, that's on the map anyway. Not sure uh, um, what exactly they'll be doing at those two shows more than they already have, you know, planned and, and done in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, that too will be of interest. But uh, I I just might make the the one in Brunswick. Yeah, um, just for grins. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm, that's like. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't imagine I won't make it to the one. I hope work doesn't interfere, but uh, the one in Plymouth on, in July. Right. Um, and I would love to make it back down to Maryland to the one at, at Frederick at uh, yeah. at the home base. That would be that would be a lot of fun. I, I went to one of those a long time ago and liked it a lot, and mm-hmm. um, never had a chance to remember, go back. Before. Do you remember what time of year the homecoming used to be? For some reason or another, I always put that at. My memory wants to put it in June or, or, or something like that. I want to put it in the fall uh, myself. Yeah. But, well, that's where uh, they resurrected it, and, and I guess you're probably right. Because uh, there's been a little bit of a low-level uh, uh, protest, if you will, about the uh, October 4 date because that's – Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, right. Yeah. And a lot of respect – uh, for any religion, but that's kind of the, the top of their high holy days. And yeah. uh, I'm not sure that there was a way around it. The AOPA has assured the people that have protested that they are going to uh, find a way to keep that from conflicting next year, but that this year there just wasn't a way around it. And with NBAA on the calendar and uh, oh, ICAS on the calendar, a couple other things. It, it can get a little crowded that time of year. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the other thing I was worried about is uh, the July date for the one up here in Plymouth, not nearly as, as significant a conflict, but uh, there's a big uh, uh, aviation event, the, the, uh, the ultralight fly-in that happens up here every uh, summer is right about that time of year. I was digging for the dates this year. I don't know whether they conflict or not, but uh, but it's a week-long thing, and the AOPA thing is just a day, so I guess maybe even if they're... They could wind up complimenting one another yeah, a little right. bit. So anyways. anyways, it's going to be cool. Check out the AOPA website for more details about uh, locations and, and dates and whatnot, and, uh, but uh, I think this Can is Can we put cool. the link with this map in there? I, I would imagine that Jeff will do exactly that, yes. Mm-hmm. Good deal. So uh, what's next it also They also show on the map uh, not not only the regional fly-ins and the homecoming, but the uh, uh, other two events at which AOPA generally has a pretty strong presence: right. Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. Yeah. So, yeah. so. It, it, in case you didn't know where those places yeah, were, right. exactly. Uh, David, I think you put this on the list that you think you have an explanation as to why that seven four seven, not the the Dreamlifter, why it landed at the wrong airport. Well, yeah, uh, Atlas Air. Uh, which is the uh, contract company that, that flies the Dreamlifters for Boeing. And back in November, uh, one of them that was 
filed for McConnell Air Force Base, uh, which lets Boeing use the runway there and Spirit Aerosystems, who makes Dreamlifter parts. And instead, they landed about nine miles northeast of McConnell at uh, Colonel James Jabara Airport. Right. Uh, that's a 6,000-foot runway that's not nearly weight-rated for 600,000-pound airplanes. But somehow or another, they managed to make it work. Yeah. Well, Atlas Air has created a video using the cockpit data and the uh, ATC tapes and the cockpit voice tapes. Uh, and it created a training video for their crews that fly the Dreamlifter. Uh Bob Mark at uh, Aviation International News Online uh, broke the story about Atlas Air creating the video and how it shows that the uh, Atlas Air crew made a couple of mistakes based on some problems they had with cockpit displays. They no longer really trusted what they were being shown. Uh, they had the uh, McConnell one nine left approach loaded in the into the flight management system, uh, but when they got within visual, they picked Jabara out as the appropriate airport and were surprised that they were really close and really high, and still somehow they managed to make it work. Uh, left so a mean- lot of black marks on the runway. Yeah. Uh, they didn't recognize that there was two more airports in front of them, and I think that was partially because once they saw Jabara's lights and at the distance and angle that they would have been seeing them on that approach, uh, they would have been really prominent that night uh, and didn't see the other lights farther down because it was dark and it was hazy and you're looking at them at an oblique angle, and somehow they made it work. Well, uh, you know, it, may, that's, it was that's just a, a visual identification thing because they disconnected the flight management system. They turned off the autopilot. They abandoned the approach and did the visual into Jabara successfully. So, are, I'm sorry. Are you trying to make excuses for these guys? You're saying we fired nope, them for no good nope, reason? Nope. No excuses. <laughs> no excuses. I'm just saying that somehow through it all, they made it work. I, you know. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They made a mistake, and then they reinforced that mistake a couple of different times. I I don't know, I don't know anything about it. I shouldn't say they that. They identified the wrong airport. Yep, and they had the clue that they were high when they didn't. They shouldn't have been high, uh, and, and they were fixated on that runway yeah. because they mistrusted. They did not trust what the. Dis- screen displays were showing them. They'd had some problems with them earlier in the flight and decided that their eyeballs, seeing a 6,000-foot runway, very prominently lighted below them, absent all the other infrastructure that existed in Air Force Base, that was their place. Right. So and fixation, these aren't the first guys in, a, in aviation to make a mistake based on the fact that they made a mistake got fixated on the result of that mistake, and pulled it off. Okay. That's a good lesson, I think, yes. Right. Jeb, what do you think? You're just, you're just staying quiet. You're just staying I think, I think one other thing here, too, is yeah. uh, a couple of things, really. Um, one, the controller clear, cleared them for the approach to McConnell. They were 25 miles out. And at the same time, switched them to the McConnell Tower frequency. Okay. So that's... That's a, a 
there's nothing really operational about that except that it's just further reinforcing the mindset in these two pilots that we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. There you go. And then I don't know about the lighting on Jabara's runway. I don't know about the lighting on McConnell's runway. Uh, but according to, to a sentence here, it says, The 747 remained on autopilot until passing the initial approach fix, at which time a flying pilot saw a brightly lit runway slightly to his left, which seemed to match what he was looking for. Um, what that's telling me is two things. Well, I'm sorry, really one one big thing is that the the brightly lit runway stood out a lot more than the more distant and and perhaps not as brightly lit runway at McConnell. Not only that, but that brightness probably injured or damaged or harmed or or certainly reduced their night vision. Mm-hmm. So they probably couldn't even see the runway. I think McConnell. you're right. Okay. Yeah. And coming in from that uh, from the north, going into Wichita, aiming for McConnell. There's a lot of little airports around there. There's really nothing big immediately to the south of McConnell, however. So there wouldn't be any other lighting, any other airport lights or runway lights on out there south of McConnell. I can certainly see where they saw these bright lights at Jabara as being McConnell. Yeah, it's really not a stretch. Uh you know, mistakes that they made, they didn't brief, they really didn't brief each other, the cockpit crew. Right. Didn't but, brief yeah. each other on the approach. I gotta, I gotta hand a little bit of credit, blame, to the tower at McConnell and Wichita approach, who watched this transpire on their radar screens <laughs> and didn't say anything. Or they weren't paying enough attention to have noticed. Uh, I'm not sure which. Because it would seem that, well, at least at a civilian tower, that an airplane getting as low as you had to get to land at Jabara might have set off a a low-altitude alert for a controller watching an airplane that was supposed to be landing nine miles farther south. Right. But that technology may not have been in play here. I don't know. I know that I've been called by controllers when I was on an instrument approach who said, you seem to be getting a little low. At which point, well, it looked good to me. Oh, you had the airport in sight. Yeah, but I was still trying to fly the ILS. Uh, And they were right. I was a little low. Uh, Boy, they pinged me right away on that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I found out later it was because the little automation system up there where they work sounded an alarm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice to know. But somehow or another, none of that worked this particular night. Uh, having flown into Jabara and Beach, but not McConnell uh, from the north, I can, and at night, I can testify to the fact that under certain circumstances, certain conditions, it's really not easy to see uh, McConnell as an airport, as a runway, from eight, nine miles out at the angle they were looking at because it's surrounded by factory lights for Spirit Aerosystems, mm-hmm. Boeing, Wichita, and all the flotsam that goes with the rest of McConnell Air Force Base that is not runway. But one would imagine that these guys have flown into McConnell before. Well, I'm not sure that this particular crew had been into McConnell uh, all that many times. Uh, that seemed to have been a, a factor in this. 
Uh, and I understand that there's uh, part of the reason for the training video was to help better familiarize the Atlas Air pilots with what they're going to be up against because with the prevailing winds around here being southerly, the north approach into McConnell is going to be the, the, the approach that they use most often. And knowing that the air cargo and the manufacturing worlds don't work on an eight-hour day, the number of those are going to be at night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just count on it. We need to move on here. But I, I joked about them being fired. Um, do, do we know what the consequences were that they suffered as a result of this action? I, I, I have not read anything about yeah, that. I, I don't know. And, and I... I it's a big deal for them in their careers, and I, 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 hate, I hate to make, you know, it was a funny joke, I hope. I know that they weren't the crew that left with the airplane. We, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's sort of, you know, you could expect that, but, uh, you know, perhaps they've got some, I don't know, re-education or something. Well, I would hope a little remedial training because uh, that's one of those mistakes that they're – but for the grace of go I. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing I were, and I think it was Jeb or it was one of you guys who pointed out that they, they, they work in a, a very competitive environment. And, uh, you know, I hope that they didn't suffer any major, you know, kind of like losing their pilot privileges, you know, their certificates thing. But, but if they suddenly, you know, fell way down low on the list of pilots that get called for these jobs, that's understandable, I think. Yeah. And, uh, um, Everybody has a foobar in them from time right. to time, right? And there and there ha- there should be consequences. It's not unreasonable. There are consequences. They just they shouldn't be it, terminal. It shouldn't be capital punishment. Right. That's for right. sure. Yeah. Right. So, anyways, right. moving on. Um, we're definitely reaching the end of our allotted time here. I'm not sure if I, <laughs> I was, sure I was to, about to call for takeout. I'm not sure what to make of this story, and maybe we're going to even cut it out. I don't know. But this story about the pilots talking to Potomac Approach, <laughs> do we believe this? Is this real? Uh, yeah. It's got liveatc.net on it. Uh, it does, um, but know, it doesn't appear I, to be from. We should call Dave Pasco while we're in we, the process well, of calling people on the telephone. I don't know, but... Uh, um, so what this is is uh, it's uh, it's a uh, basically it's audio, but it's audio with uh, with sort of subtitles in the form of a video of uh, of a uh, exchanges between a, 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 an aircraft um, on approach to what airport? I didn't even catch that. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure, but it's in the uh, talking I to th- Potomac. Approach. I think it was Baltimore, actually. Okay, talking because to what? The apparently, runway numbers don't match. Right, talking to to the approach. And getting instructions through, just kind of routine instructions through approach, and then suddenly suffering a stuck mic, and 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 <laughs> during the stuck mic incident, they choose to badmouth the controllers. And by the way, and 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 full and disclosure, colorful language. Full, full disclosure: this is where I stop listening to the video, to the audio because I just this just doesn't. I don't like this. Uh, you know, it's just painful to me to listen to people embarrass themselves like this. And so I stopped at the point where I could. Oh my God, these guys are going to like say, but they definitely were. You know, like saying, you know, all oh, these controllers are the worst controllers in the world, and they're awful, and that's. That's where I pushed stop. How bad? How bad did it get? You guys must have listened to the whole thing, did you? It got. Know. It got worse. <laughs> it got a lot worse. And then, it and then, worse. did they finally get it unstuck? And and the air and the controller approach came back on and said, "Oh, well, in that circumstance, you know, hold at this intersection." You know, and did they? Were there consequences, or how did it work? How did it play out? Um, <laughs> they had to make a phone call. <laughs> well, here's the here's the text quoted from the the video. Yeah. Uh, Eagle Flight 3040, you will be number two following company. I'm going to have a phone number for you to call when you get down. 
And then then a few seconds uh, later, tell us when you're ready to copy that phone number. Eagle Flight 3040 responds, who are you talking to? (laughs) The controller controller says, Eagle Flight 3040, after the last transmission, you were hotkeyed, sir. And uh, 3040, we were unaware. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's what hotkey means. <laughs> so, so the Eagle Fly thirty forty, you could make a left turn three six zero intercept three three left localizer. Um, let's see what else goes on here. Um, Eagle Fly thirty forty, let me know. If I, let me know when you are ready to copy that phone number. <laughs> oh man! And it, and it gets it gets you know. You know what is it? Okay, fine. And hey, there we go. You know, so, I could say there, but for the grace of God goes I, but I've been there, all right? Well, here, here's the We've consult. done this on the podcast where we accidentally broadcast stuff that was personal, sure. and uh, sure. it happens, you know? It's sure. embarrassing. That didn't mute? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, here's Jeb, the, go here's, ahead. Here's, here's the punchline, though, is uh, this is a 121 crew, and uh, they're supposed to be in sterile cockpit. Oh, okay. For, 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 yeah, for those boy. not in the know, 121 crew means... Uh, scheduled scheduled passenger carrier large ah, okay. transport airplanes. So when they're in that that environment, they're not supposed to be having conversations. Anything below ten thousand feet, uh, no extraneous conversation. Oh, so now, they're, they're now, not discuss- only in hot water with ATC; they're in hot water with their company. Possibly, possibly. And um, with the FAA. D- Discussing the quality of the controllers at the facility they're using could be argued to be pertinent conversation. Operational, yeah, right. Okay, maybe. Okay. They're uh, briefing. It's a briefing. You know, it's kind of like doing a little pre-brief on what we might ex- what we might encounter uh, during this approach. I don't know. It's a briefing with. You think that'll fly, so to speak? Anyways, I I, I don't know. I I think I I. <laughs> you know what? If there's a microphone within sight, assume it's turned on. That's exactly. uh, that's the rule exactly. you should live your life by. Right. The, 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 you know, certainly Potomac could could start an enforcement action thing against them. But I would not, if I were Potomac anyway, I'd, I wouldn't do that. I would just, hey guys, you know, sorry, you're not, you know, you're not liking the service. What can we do to try to make it better? Or, or you know, uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. What, what could you possibly be? <laughs> There's a lot of different ways this could yeah. go. Did it doesn't you know? have to be an yeah. enforcement thing. That's right. I mean, flight. Did you realize that Dave Pasco is recording all this? And not, uh, not coincidentally, <laughs> it's going to make it onto the. This is too good to not yeah. go viral. All right. right. Anyways, enough of that. It's just like I'm be not, careful. I'm out not there. sure much of the airline pilot community has yet come to realize just how much of their public broadcasts are regularly recorded now. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Anyways. Well, yeah. And that gets to another thing too is is um you know there there was a time when not having a, a flight data recorder or a cockpit voice recorder was a good thing. And there is still a time now when uh, a lot of aircraft can fly around without them or well, certainly without them being legally required. But if you've got a GPS, whether it's panel mounted or handheld, you've got a flight data recorder. Mm-hmm. That's right. And um, yeah. your, your your voice communications anyway are going to be recorded, irrespective. Yep. And if you've got any kind of recording device plugged into your intercom, you've got a cockpit vo- voice recorder. Right. And the NTSB uses this data. Oh, yeah. The uh, they don't. They don't necessarily ask permission yeah. either. Well, they don't. Yeah, right. I wouldn't imagine they need to ask permission. They're smart well, people, and they know this data is out there. They're going for it. That's right. And and you know, I don't know exactly. You know, if all the I don't know what all the legalities are. Certainly, in fatal crashes, the NTSB gets the data. 
Okay. Right. Pull, pulls the chips, pulls the cards out of the out of the Garmin 1000, for example, and and downloads the data. Um, in non-fatal crashes, I don't know that they do that. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, well, sure. I'm sure there's a there's a uh, there's a cost benefit if, analysis. If the, yeah. That goes if the, pi- if the pilot's around to to talk about it, I'm right. not sure he allows that, uh, or, or and I don't know what the protocol is at the NTSB, but increasingly. You will see accident reports, you know, detail the um, um, position, the attitude, the heading, uh, speed, all of this of, a, of an airplane just about just before it's about to crash. Right. Yeah. Anyways. So. Be careful out there. It's being recorded. Believe me. Everything Watch what recorded. you Every, say. Forget the NSA. I mean, that's a whole other thing. All right. But as, lo- as, <laughs> as long as Jack pushed record. Everything. <laughs> I haven't forgotten to push record in a long time, but it did happen once or twice. Shout outs. I got a couple of shout outs here. Um, I did, I just came across this story. I just think this is really cool. This is a uh, um, happens to be in our in our uh, you know our friendly you know state of Wisconsin where we all love to go every summer. But uh, uh, this is a uh, I'm looking at a story on the LacrosseTribune.com website uh, uh, on Wisconsin fly in uh, fly in lunch a year round gathering at Iola or Eola um, I O L A uh, which I believe is a, is a town there in Wisconsin um, uh, so this is the story this is just kind of a cool story and I won't read I certainly won't read it all but there's a cool story about a a fly in um, lunch that happens every Friday afternoon. Um, rain or shine, um, it, it kind of became a story right now because it's so darn cold up there right now, and apparently they're still doing it regardless of the cold. And uh, this is a, what's the name of the airport here? Uh, find the air. You put on your snowmobile suit, throw the skis on the airplane, and go to Central County Airport. Yeah, for the last which 11 is four years. four miles east of Iola and have lunch. Yeah, right. For the last 11 years, the privately owned Central County Airport, four miles east of Iola, has hosted a fly in lunch. Um, only it's not a one-time affair, and it's not limited to sunny summer days. So what happens is that you buy a member. And apparently, this has to do with restaurant regulations. You got to—it's got to be a membership thing. So for ten dollars, I think it was ten dollars, you buy a lifetime membership to this little club or whatever it is. All right, and then you are entitled to attend and pay eight dollars for what sounds to be a pretty nice lunch. I mean, they talk about some of the menus in this thing, right? But it's all kind of non-professional. There's this this one particular guy who's the head honcho. I believe it's a guy named Keel, Don Keel, um, who uh, who's the he's the kind of you know makes this all happen and is the literally the chief cook and bottle washer. And uh, and he hosts this lunch every Friday afternoon at uh, Central County, and it just sounds awesome. I just think every airport, more airports should do this. And, really, uh, um, what what fascinates me about this is this is an airport owned by the sixty pilots that are based there. Yeah, another good uh, thing. Yeah, yeah right. An- another good. really cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really funny. About half, about about halfway down through this story, I'm reading it, and I'm suddenly realizing this sounds exactly like an around the field column. This mm-hmm. is just, it was mm-hmm. great. I mean, it was just talking about all the different people who attended this thing and where they flew from and what kind of airplane they were in, and it's just a it's a great story. Um, I, I you know I'm almost I can say with some certainty that Jeff will put a link to this in the show notes, but it's at the LacrosseTribune.com website, and my guess is that if you Googled "fly in lunch and Eola," you'd probably find. It and I I O L A. Hey and Dave, cool if, if 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 Jack decides he doesn't want to do around the field for uh, Air Venture today, we we can tap this guy. There you go. Truly, truly, 
I mean, and this is Wisconsin by the, State Journal. Yeah, sure. this is this is a mainstream media um, um, reporter who did a really nice job reporting on general aviation. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice story on, on lots of different levels. So uh, check it out, check it out. And if you're in that area, man, fly up to to uh, Central County and uh, go to lunch. The first lunch will be eighteen dollars, and then it's eight dollars a lunch from there on out. And, uh, and yeah, you can do it the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very very cool. What's next here? Um, yeah, so the next shout-out on the list um, has my name on it. But, Jeb, you tell us. What's the story with the B-29 dock? Is, is, is dock going to be finished? That's, that's a Dave story. I'm sorry. Did I, what did, I, did I say, Jeb? I meant to say yeah. Dave. Um, Dave, is, uh, is uh, B-29 dock going to get finished? We talked about this over the years, about how they're restoring dock. And uh, it would make, I believe, only the second flying B-29. Is it going to make it to, in, to Oshkosh this year, maybe? They're shooting for it. Yeah. They're shooting for it. They had a really large presence of people at Oshkosh last year uh, where they did some pretty uh, serious uh, recruiting of people to support the program. Uh, Jeff Turner, retired Spirit Aerosystem CEO, heads up the uh, volunteer group that was created to try to make this happen. Uh, that's Doc's friends, and Doc's friends have succeeded in raising a fair amount of money and making quite a bit of progress. Uh, there's still seven, maybe nine million away from completing the renovation, getting it flying, but they are making progress, and they hope to have that puppy airborne uh, this year. And if they can do it early enough, uh, you know, everybody wants to fly your project to Oshkosh. They're no different. Uh, that would be really I, cool to have two B twenty nine on the west ramp. That would be smoking hot. That would that shoot. would be nice. And if anybody's interested, I really encourage you uh, find the friends of Doc uh, online. They can use all the support to get. Several friends of mine have been volunteering their sheet metal skills on this for quite a while. Uh, another friend of mine has been uh, working with them on. Uh, uh, getting all the information they need to operate it. He was a B-29 pilot in World War II. Uh, Where the and, frack is Boeing? I, 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 I totally get that they've donated some hangar space. Big whoop, okay? Boeing should be on this like white on rice. They should be doing everything they can to see that this thing is, is uh, uh, modernized, flyable, upgraded, fresh engines, the whole thing. I, I can't I can't disagree with you. And if this project um, had started in Seattle, I, I, I know my friends in Seattle are going to say, oh, no, that's wrong. They would have been oblivious either way. But if this project had started in Seattle and been a museum of flight project that was going to be based at, at Boeing Field, King County Airport, I have no doubt that this thing would have been done five years ago. Well, uh, but it suffers from the same, what's the word I want, lethargy, apath- apathy, apathy. Uh, that the Kansas Aviation Museum here in Wichita has fought against for over 20 years. Uh, and, and it's not been helped by the fact that in a few more months, there will be no Boeing presence in Wichita, period. Well, Okay, After so eighty years. So uh, let's let's accept for the moment that Boeing is pulling out of Wichita. Um, I can think of 
a company that would just make get all kinds of good PR for coming in and and underwriting some some of this. Throw out throw a quarter of a million dollars at this project, and they would be able to walk on water. And the name of that company is Airbus. <laughs> oh, that would be, wouldn't that be a something? Fairly significant presence here, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just saying. Uh, so, I'm just saying. Anyways, the website is uh, b-29doc, b29doc.com. And, uh, you, and if you know somebody that put up money, uh, Jeff Turner would love to hear from you. Uh, the big, The big, big thing that they want to get done now is building a permanent home for Doc. Because B twenty nines can't be left out in the weather. Yeah, they can. They can put it under a, an A three eighty. Other shout outs. Anybody got anything, David? Well, uh, I got two actually. Okay, uh, go ahead. First off, okay, uh, General Aviation Manufacturers Association and my good buddy Lynn uh, Freeman at Build a Plane have launched their second nationwide aviation design challenge. For high schools across the U.S., uh, the prize, the winning school, gets an all-expenses-paid two-week trip for four students, one teacher, and one chaperone to go to Arlington, Washington in June of this year and build a Glass Air Sportsman through Glass Air's two weeks to taxi yeah. program. That's a cool airplane. Yeah. And they may also find their, themselves uh, the subject of some attention at Oshkosh if yeah. uh, passed as uh, precedent. Yep. Yep. And I'll pass it on to Jeb. Yep. Jeb, what do you got? Um, I have a shout-out to what used to be called the two-holer. Okay. The DC, the, yeah, the thank D, you. Go yeah, ahead. There, there, there were two-holers and there were three-holers. Yeah. Okay, 727s were the three-holers. DC-9s were the two-holers. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, never mind. I, see, Jack, you just have a dirty mind. I, 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 okay, and go you, ahead. You, Tell you, me about these always, airplanes. <laughs> um, the, the, the DC-9 earlier this week um, made its last scheduled U.S. commercial flight. Aww. Yeah, it's 48 years almost to the day. Uh, and Delta Airlines made the flight, um, uh, departed Minneapolis-St. Paul um, on, uh, I don't know, on Monday the 6th and uh, uh, made it to Atlanta before sunset, uh, calling, it a, calling it a day for uh, the DC-9 in regularly scheduled passenger service in the United States. Now, there, there are still a couple of, of, of two-holers laying around, especially at Delta, holding them in reserve in case... Uh, uh, they have a, an equipment problem or something like that over the next few weeks. Uh, and there are still some MD-80s uh, in service. And, of course, Boeing's 717 is, is, nothing, is not much more than a modernized DC-9. But the DC-9 proper, um, which is, comes in many different flavors, uh, is no longer in service in the United States. And uh, I think that's a, a big deal. Yeah. Um, been on one several times, have a lot of fond memories of them. Yeah. Um, they've, yeah, they've, uh, they've served very, very well and, uh, uh, hats off to that type. Yeah. I always loved getting the DC nine tens because the front row was against the front uh-huh. bulkhead and the seats faced backward uh-huh. and nobody wanted those seats. Well, so uh, no matter how early or late I checked in, uh-huh. I could almost always get one of those seats right up front. 
Well, and I've I've told this story before. I, I presume I've told it on on the podcast. Um, yeah. Year years ago, I used to have to commute from D.C. to Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, did so for about six weeks, uh, one winter, and um, I would go out on like a Sunday night or a Monday, and I would come back on Friday night or Saturday, and um, I figured out I, I I could spend the whole day in Lincoln doing business and struggle to the airport and catch one of two last flights out. Um, one of them was a United 727, a three-holer, through O'Hare. The other, and was literally the LFO of uh, out of the Midwest for, um, for DCA that, in that time frame, caught a, a short DC-9, I don't know if it was a 10 or 15, out of uh, Lincoln, went to St. Louis, changed planes, got on an MD-80 and did the slam dunk approach down at, back in the DCA. This was back when DCA had a curfew, had a noise curfew. I learned that if I showed up a little bit early for the flight, wearing the coat and tie, which was the uniform of the job I, was, I had at the time, that I would get an automatic upgrade to first class because they needed someone to sit up front for weight and balance. <laughs> Oh, and it helped to have one with first class seating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's yeah. that's that was the, the end of an era. That's, that's yeah. Uh, that yeah. was that was that was T-way. That was a long time ago. A long time say. ago. Yeah. Well, David, my, uh, my first night in the Navy, I traveled to from Louisville Standard Field, as it was called, to Chicago O'Hare on a Delta DC nine. Uh, I remember it clearly because all of us that were being inducted were seated in first class and treated to free drinks. And the flight attendant came by and winked and said, don't anybody ask whether you need, we need to see an ID. I don't think any of us were 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, th- well, yeah. And I got a real quick one. Yeah, one last shout out, David. Go ahead. Old, old, old uh, acquaintance of ours, uh met this young man when he was about 12 or 13, and he came into the Air Venture Today office. Uh, he wanted to do a Young Eagles flight. He did a Young Eagles flight, and he came back in. He wanted to know how he could learn to fly and how old he had to be to get a pilot's license. Uh, he was dismayed to find that he had to be 16. So if I remember the story correctly, he finagled away, raised money, and took his flight training in Canada where he could solo a year earlier and get his license up there, then came back down to the States, started a business, finished school. Jamal Larkins, now uh-huh. 29, yep. was this week named as by Forbes magazine as one of the brightest stars under age 30 in 15 different fields. Outstanding. Uh, he was selected uh, uh, for this honor by a panel of venture capitalists and business executives in each of the different industries. Uh, of course, in his case, it's aviation, uh, and his claim to fame is an op- operation based out of Atlanta called Ascension Air, which is an owner-flown fractional ownership program. And I think probably one of the biggest customers for Cirrus SR-22s and SR-22Ts. Uh, others that were named among the 30 with Jamal, uh, you might hear a familiar name here. Evan Spiegel, who founded Snapchat. Maria Sharapova, the tennis player. 
Bruno Mars, the musician, and LeBron James, the basketball player. Mm. So the young man's done well in good company and uh, continuing to uh, yeah. build his future in aviation. Yeah. Congratulations. Way to go, Jamal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, awesome. And, and, and he's good people, too. Yeah. He's good people. Hey, that's it. Uh, definitely time to stick a fork. I have no idea how long this episode has been. <laughs> we had an aside with, hours. Yeah, we had an minutes. aside. We we spent an awful lot of time talking at the beginning, and then we spent had a great aside with uh, uh, Dave Shellbetter, and uh, I have lo- completely lost track. Um, time will tell. Uh, people will know. They're they're all looking at their watches now, going, "Well, no, Jack, it's exactly this. How long?" Hey, Dave Higdon, uh, you haven't edited it yet. <sighs> Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David. What have you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, yeah, working on a piece of... <laughs> yeah. It was there a minute ago. I, I know the feeling. Oh, I was working on a piece uh, about how to tell the boss uh, that you're not going to get to go to the airport that he wanted to. And all the different reasons that the, those uh, choices can change against our will. Mm-hmm. And they're not all weather-related. Okay. So, uh, Can you tell us what publication that will be in? It'll be in World Aircraft Sales in about a week and a half, mm-hmm. uh, along with a couple other pieces that I've got in the works for them. And you can find that magazine at www.avbuyer.com. Cool. And other places on the Internet? Where Where are you? Oh, AEA.net for my uh, avionics news work. Uh, if you're uh, a member of NBAA, you'll see my work unidentified as such in the Business Aviation Insider. Uh-huh. And on the Twitter, you're uh, Real Higdon. Twitter I'm slash Real Higdon. Real Higdon. Yep. Absolutely real deal. Yeah. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Well, I just finished uh, the February issue of Aviation Safety Magazine, um, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com, by the way. Uh, some really good stuff in there. Uh, short and soft field landings. Had a sweet talk ATC by our own very own uh, Amy Labota. Mm. Um, I've got a piece in there about um, uh, preventive maintenance, what you can and cannot do to your own airplane. A uh, bunch of other good stuff in there this month. Uh, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like Dave, I also do some other writing. I'm looking for a couple of pieces uh, to come through the pike at um, the Aircraft Electronics Association and uh, uh, the Avionics News Magazine they publish. One is on uh, upgrade paths for ADSB, and uh, the other one is on um, how to get wireless power in your airplane cabin which is a, a, a new thing, a coming thing, I think. Wireless power. It, right. Using the, using the inductive uh, power transfer capabilities. <laughs> you don't want me running my iPad in your cockpit, all right? But wireless power. Well, you know, the FAA has, um, you know, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Personal, personal electronic devices are basically used at the discretion of the, uh, of the captain, okay. of the pilot in command. Okay. okay? And uh, especially in the back of higher-end biz jets, um, in-flight entertainment is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, pads like the, uh, the iPad and the iPhone are kind of the gold standard on how to control and how to provide uh, content mm-hmm. for these in-flight entertainment systems. Um, a lot of that is being done over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, ra- rather than try to deal with having... 
a bunch of USB cables floating around the cabin yeah, or okay. you know having a 30 pin connector not a lightning connector and, and all these kinds of different things yeah so you, you can you can feed the the system content wirelessly the only thing that's really lacking is charging the, mm-hmm. the, the device and if we use the inductive uh, um, charging capabilities of some of the newer smartphones and you can also get attachments or, or sleeves or or cases that have that capability in them um, boom! You don't have to connect the phone to anything. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I look and, forward and to it, that. And it opens up a lot of other little opportunities for, uh, uh, um, I won't say mischief, but for for customizing uh, the uh, passenger experience, yeah. both uh, on uh, private aircraft and commercial. Sounds good. Say again what publication that'll be in. Uh, Aircraft Electronic Association and their uh, uh, monthly magazine, Avionics News. Excellent. And where can people find you on the internet? Uh, jeburnside.com on the Facebook thingy and uh, on the Twitter thingy where I am Burnside J. Excellent, excellent. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And uh, you can check out my Kindle ebooks at uh, amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Um, I'm very, very excited that uh, I'm going to be rolling out an expanded uh, sort of new uh, world of around the field. I've been writing the around the field things at uh, at, at uh, the Oshkosh fly-in for years now. And, uh, and in addition to continuing to do that, uh, I'm uh, going to be doing around the field stuff throughout the year. Um, and uh, by the well, probably not by the time you hear this, but certainly by the time we uh, we kind of get into the into the Sebring uh, time frame, um, we're going. I'm going to be rolling out a a brand new podcast, an around the field podcast, and uh, there's a, a blog that's going to be happening, and and perhaps some eBooks, and so a lot of around the field stuff. So please keep your eye on aroundthefield.net for more information about that, and you could uh, sign up sign up for my uh, email newsletter with uh, news about that and all the other things that I'm involved with. Uh, check out that at uh, jackhodgson.com. And on the Twitter, I am uh, uh, twitter.com slash jackhodgson. Uh, big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes. Uh, check out uh, those show notes at our website at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, we are very, very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. Hey, David, you were going to say something? Live long, go fly, and always remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So it makes up for what it takes. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. We'll see you at Seabrook.